Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Hey, Pete. Um, you know, do you want to play a game? Absolutely, Dr. Falcon. How about a nice game of chess? I was thinking something more along the lines of global thermonuclear war. You got that on the list? Well, it's, it's, it's an odd game. I mean, the only way to win is not to play. Oh, you always come up with that one. <laughs> hey, man, how's it going? I'm, just, I'm doing all right, man. All right, and so it, for those people at home, it's this is Carlo, um, accompanied by Pete. Uh, you're hey. listening to Podside Picnic, and uh, if you're not clued in by our little uh, intro there, we will be discussing the um, almost not speculative at all uh, uh, 1983 film War Games, uh, featuring uh, was it Matthew Broderick, yep. Ali Sheedy, and uh, there's Dabney Coleman and and many more. So, um, Pete, had you seen this before at all? Yes, yes. Uh, I I saw it in theaters. I don't have any. You know, sometimes you get visual memories of which theater and what time and stuff. I just mm-hmm. know I saw it in a theater. Gotcha. I um, I'll admit I don't think I ever saw this in the theater. Um. It, it. I think this is yet another one of those. Like I saw it on, you know, HBO. Uh, this is even further back. This may have been like that first iteration of HBO, which is just a descrambler box. Yes. Which yes. <laughs> just had like a little switch on it, and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> there and you go. had you had to like uh, twist your head sideways in the hope of seeing a tit. I remember those days. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's if you didn't have the descrambler, but you know, you could you could quickly. Um, this is going to sound make me sound like some sort of weird creep, but uh, I was. 12, 13, so, you know, boobs, uh, boobs right. on TV, and you, you you just switch back and forth between the, the clunky channel uh, dial. That that was actually a thing, folks. There was a dial. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I, I had the one with the buttons. Oh, uh, okay. The funny thing about that is it, it was apparently um, it, you press the buttons and it made some sort of sound. And the box reacted. And so there were people who figured out, like, if you could take a jar and fill it full of the right number of pennies and shake it the right way, you could change the channel. So this was like almost phone freaking type of technology, right? Yeah, well, it's appropriate for this discussion. On I another so. level, it's like, like you and I talking about the old days when there were outhouses. <laughs> <laughs> let, me put my, let me pull the straw out between my teeth. Yeah. <laughs> We we didn't have this. We had corn cobs, you know. Okay, <laughs> but were they cooked corn cobs, which is important? Yes, yes, it does tie into the film strangely. Wow, a good loop back. You know, so that's an uh, oh, interesting sorry. scene. Can we call that out for a second? Like at one point, Broderick's mom gives corn to the family, and the husband starts eating it, and it's uncooked. And insofar as I can tell, it's. That scene is designed to make the mom look like a dumb bitch, and it has no other purpose. I did not. I mean, maybe, but uh, maybe now, after like living past the eighties and into now, uh, I just thought to myself, "Oh, she was like a very early adopter of the raw, uh, the raw food movement." I mean, this is like Paleolithic <laughs> stuff, man. Well, I mean, she's like, oh, can, I can I can just taste the the vitamins, and and the answer is, uh, can we do? Can we just take the pills and cook the corn? Uh, <laughs> which is a, a it's a great line. Also, I thought you were going to call it out because uh, you you knew about the trivia behind it. I do not know the trivia behind it. So apparently, I forget. I think it's from the 
original screenwriters, they had been um, involved in a documentary uh, about the neo-Nazi movement in California called California Reich. And they took some – it had to be some sort of weird freak who was basically would slather their uh, Wonder Bread with butter and would curl it around the the corn cob and eat – you know, that would butter the corn cob. And they they thought that was such a weird quirk that they wanted to include it in, in this particular movie. <laughs> you know, that's really funny because when I saw him butter the bread and then use it to butter the corn cob, I'm like, this guy is a genius. I totally need to do that because I always <laughs> burn my hand. To be honest with you, like ever since I saw that, uh, I was like, oh, that's the way you butter corn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, sorry, folks. I've been problematic. I've I've adopted a uh, neo-Nazi way of buttering corn. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have to do everything different for the Nazis. We've got to shake a different number of times in front of the urinal. Everything. Yeah, uh, that's so tiresome. <laughs> I don't really I, get into that. <laughs> I, I, you know, we could really do a bit like this where we start talking about a film and we never talk about the core of the film we just talk about like <laughs> how the corn is buttered and the cars that were used and just never get anywhere <laughs> yeah yeah uh, just around the edges just talk about the trivia somebody so, um, love it i'm sure i'm sure they would uh so anyway um yeah i i think i saw this way back when probably like 84 I want to okay. say. So I saw it uh, 83. So like we're, we're yeah. definitely in the same ballpark. Yeah. Um, like on HBO or whatever. And, um, you know, as a, as a kid uh, or an adolescent, at least you think to yourself, man, Matthew Broderick is so charming and I want to be like him. I, I have and... a concrete physical example of this. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> From 1983 to 1993, I dressed just like this goddamn kid. <laughs> it's amazing I, to me. I, I mean, I'll, I'll let you off the hook. I think the uh, the T-shirt with the button shirt uh, over it was a big thing throughout the 80s. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think – Probably that's nine tenths of it, but I'm pretty sure I started doing it immediately after this movie. Mm, okay. Well, you know, uh, at least you were being an asshole like this kid. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly less of one. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, most of the time when you're a kid, you, you end up being an asshole and you learn later <laughs> that you shouldn't be that. Yeah. Uh, well, but you're trying to explore who you are and make different changes. And like, you know, one day you're announced you're a Buddhist or whatever, just to try it on. And like <laughs> this kid was an entirely certain with himself prick making bad decisions. And that confidence was very appealing. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I think part of it is um, – Broderick himself is is extremely charming as a like he brings that charm to the character and sort of like a I think a, a mixture of sort of brashness and vulnerability all in you know, like maybe even in the same scene um, where where he'll have that moment where he's like you know he'll use his eyes and sort of like you see his lips sort of move a little a, a certain way and you realize oh he's 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 uh, he's searching for, you know, like something to connect. But no, no, he comes out with some bullshit to, you know, like own his teacher in the middle of class. Yeah. Uh, you know, or whatever. And it's that's the thing. Like he actually made a bit of a career off of this, because if you look at him in like Ferris Bueller is a fucking horrible person. Like, <laughs> yeah, and he you know, is awful. They sort of flirt with that in there. Like, there are moments where they sort of acknowledge what a prick he is, but, like, everybody just sort of accepted it. I mean, he w he was definitely cool, and I, like, by the standards of the time, I was a huge fan of Yellow after that movie came out. Like, that, oh, yeah, do-bum-bum. <laughs> huge fan of those guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's fun, um, and, and they're definitely geared towards... Uh, you know, like he, he was definitely someone that was very much indicative of a certain time. Like, you know, you wanted to be that cool. Yeah. 
You, you know who he's married to? Who is he married to? Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, that's right. I I, I actually did know that. Uh, not that I particularly follow celebrity, you know, like marriages or whatever, but I did know that way back when. Well, we won't discuss my wall chart then. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's do a little rundown. So, um, so uh, he's it's David, right? David Lightman. Yes. So uh, Matthew Broderick plays David Lightman, who's a uh, high school student, uh, junior or senior. I forget exactly what. I um, think he's a senior, but whatevs, you know. Yeah, you're right. He is a senior because I think, uh, no, well, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, He he felt like senior, yeah, like senior year type of material, uh, who is a huge computer uh, geek. Like uh, he had. Like this is back in '83 when there wasn't even a five and a, half, a five and a quarter inch disc floppy disk. This was the the ten inch ones, which are just enormous. Um, and yeah, he, he had an M side, didn't he? Yes, yes. Uh, and so basically, he is um, he is a, a bit of a prick. Uh, he is apparently looking over like a trade magazine where he sees like a protovision like game company announcement and decides to try to hack into protovision's uh mainframe to see what the games are that are you know forthcoming and um he is convinced that he's hacked in because uh he gets a list of these games which includes stuff like you know chess checkers poker and then suddenly it starts getting a little weird where it's like you know like uh biochemical warfare, you know, jungle biochemical warfare, guerrilla counterattack, and then, of course, the one that he settles upon, which is global thermonuclear war. Uh, and he decides to start playing with playing the global thermonuclear war without really knowing anything about what's going on. Um, and it I looks like s- a shit game, by the way. Well, I mean, it's it's what a game looked like when you had like one of those uh, like uh, portable Wang computers. Yeah, <laughs> that that, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, like those Pascal games where it's just like basically like a like a the letter C moving around or something. <laughs> anyway, uh, I should preface this by the fact that there's a a scene before you know all this starts out where there is a uh, a very tense and very well crafted scene where it's basically two uh, missile silo operators who uh, manage to get into their silo. They get the, uh, they get a, a uh, alert. Um, they jot down their, you know, encoded information. They verify it. It is correct. Uh, they are now, you know, in position to activate and, um, and, and uh, get ready to fire missiles and uh, they're basically just, you know, they're both holding onto their keys. And one of the operators decides, you know, uh, in a very um, strange, uh, but not, this wasn't something that the that the Americans are known for. This is actually something that a Russian officer did, which was get on the phone to try to get in contact with somebody in charge and see if there were actually, th- you know, the, the actual alert that they're getting is is true, you know, and um, uh, it ends there, and that sort of leads leads into the uh, NORAD, the national. What is it? The national organization. Uh, anyway, it's the strategic defense uh, located out in Cheyenne uh, Air Force Base that is in control of basically all of missile defense. Decides then uh, because these uh, silo operators are human and have doubts about killing millions of people. Right. Uh, And this, it becomes clear that it was all a test, which is fucked up, (laughs) but um, they have doubts. And so they decide, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to bypass that entirely. We're going to automate the, the, uh, the codes so that, you know, I guess when the, the president decides to press the button or whatever uh, on his nuclear football, uh, or at least call the Joint Chiefs, they can just press a button and it happens. And there's no other human interaction at that point. 
Could I inject an almost certainly irrelevant bit of trivia that flashed out at me when when they were turning the keys in the silos? Oh, go for it. The guy who pulled the gun was Michael Mm. Madsen. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, is this where you started, buddy? And I think it was. At least it's very close. Yes. He is a very baby-faced Michael Madsen. Oh, God. And apparently that that cast a long shadow on the rest of his career. (laughs) (laughs) He pulls the gun on his buddy. (laughs) Yeah. He spent a lot of time shooting people over the next 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, So anyway – Back to David Lightman, uh, who is hacking into what he believes is a game company, uh, actually has hacked into NORAD's uh, automated system and uh, starts a simulation that, for whatever reason, the the system that they have, the Whopper, uh, is not understanding the difference between, I guess, in a Baudrillarian twist does not understand the difference between you know the matrix and the real world which i would would like make sense (laughs) i would like to call something out here that computer was running nuclear war simulations at all times it was its express purpose so playing this one game where it did it just seems like the weirdest horseshit to me Mm, true true but i mean i would say i would i probably say that it did make a difference to the internal system. I I would say that in story sense, at least I'm not no computer science here Um, in story sense, because it has an external input. And um, it, it believes that external input is its creator. mm -hmm. This is where the actual sort of sci-fi aspect comes into play because this is 1983 and it's the first, Semi AI that we have on screen, yeah. And I'd at like least to, that I can remember, yeah. Yeah, it's it's certainly close, unless you count like two thousand one. Um, well, or or maybe uh, what was that? What was that uh, uh, computer dreams? Was it that was like the computer that fell in love with <laughs> with oh the guy's God. girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> guys getting cucked by his computer. <laughs> Unreal. Well, I would like to call out that, you know, no matter what Connor says, this is an example of how simple it can be to make an AI, and he should get off his high horse. <laughs> you just I, give it a name, man. You just give it a name. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's 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 funny that that does seem to be one of his his button issues. The the fact that. For story purposes, people are always creating AIs, and you know we're so far from it, and mm-hmm. which is something I agree with. But like that man will die on that hill. I mean, I uh, honestly I believe that it is so difficult. We we don't know how we make decisions or what consciousness even is, and we're th- we're. We're pretty sure that we can, honestly, like uh, apart from the 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 grift, because that's another story. Um, I think that even if we were, even if the developers were being completely sincere, that you could create general AI that could approach human intelligence or surpass it, um, the decision making process is. I think that that's an actual paradox, right? The the decision loop, because you can ask a computer to gather data for the supposed decision-making processes. But what actually, and this is something I think we mentioned in uh, the interview with Derek, uh, the fact that humans have emotions as a type of heuristic that sort of conjoins with the decision-making process to help you say, no, don't do that. Or yes, this is a good plan of attack or you know this is a good decision to make um is something that we don't understand ourselves or or we understand it but we can't simulate it because it's it's so ingrained in human experience that it's it's like trying to have the the mind perceive itself yeah and i i mean i have a i the only way i can really see us developing something like that is um, one thing that we do with simulations is we say, okay, we, we, uh, 
like like we we create we create something that simulates a can and then we say okay computer try our program try billions of different combinations of objects under the following until you find something that the effective can opener and we'll pit one against the other until and so you what you end up with is something complex that a, that's a can opener that is usually quite effective that looks nothing at all like we would think of as a traditional can because it's not starting with any givens. And so I think if we ever were to create an AI, it would be by creating some sort of system where uh, like different things are different things are tried over and over until one comes up. Like I don't think we have a theory behind it yet. I guess is mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean and and uh, that's not even touching the fact that uh, the idea of general AI I believe honestly at this moment I believe it is essentially a a bit of a con job to continue having funding flow um you know I, towards these types of projects that, like for instance that I'm, doesn't I'm sound unreasonable to me yeah, I, I mean, like for instance, something that is as complex as even driving a car. Um, we are being promised, oh yes, yes, we'll have self-driving cars. I I don't think it's ever going to happen. There's just too much, too many variables. And if you've ever seen any of those decisional uh, algorithms and how they break down, you don't want any part of that. <laughs> that is a horrible, like, uh, just a just. A, a murder machine just waiting to happen more so than the regular car driven by a human being. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I imagine if you keep upgrading them based upon the millions of accidents that happen, it'll eventually improve to the point where I'd be willing to get in one. Yes. Yes. And, <laughs> and we will also have the, uh, the actual, you remember those old uh, uh, PSA films like a uh, red asphalt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Highway of carnage. That that would actually become a thing. Like your roads are paved with bones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, they're so good. But anyway, yeah. So uh, getting back to it. So David starts this game, and for whatever reason, the uh, the the computer, uh, the core of it is a semi AI that is called Joshua after the inventors. Uh, dead son and Joshua just continues to call David Lightman back to continue the game he wants to continue playing because he hasn't heard from his dad uh, because David decides to sort of under false pretenses call himself uh, Dr. Faulkner right Um, and he is concerned that his his creator has never hasn't talked to him in several years yeah, so Doctor Faulkner is also a prick. Side note. Yes, yes, I was. I remember like watching this and going like, "Holy shit, Doctor Faulkner is he is black pilled before anyone was ever black pilled." <laughs> oh my god! Yes, so excited for every person on Earth to die so they could start again. I'm def- like just just horny for Gigadeth. Well, and not only that, he actually uh, makes it a point to say that he moved close to one of the uh, first strike cities so that he wouldn't have to uh, worry about survival. He wanted to be gone in that first strike. Uh, I mean, honestly, got to respect it to a certain degree, but holy shit, dude. Yeah, I... It's funny because, like, on the one hand, like, this is, like, disgusting and weird. Like, like his, his worldview is absolutely abhorrent to us. But I also recognize it. I mean, when we were in the shadow of nuclear apocalypse in that, you know, the Soviet Union versus America thing, I mean, you could make a good argument we're still under that shadow. But it's mm-hmm. different now because most of those nuclear weapons are safely in the hands of smaller franchises right <laughs> uh, i don't know that that's entirely true but it hasn't it doesn't dominate the culture right uh, i think that that's the main thing i think there's plenty of warheads still and i believe that before he left obama for whatever reason decided to re-engage with continuing to make 
uh, are, are starting to make new warheads and you're like, why? Yeah. It's, it's very difficult to see like just, well, from a game's perspective, what the payoff is like, why, why on earth do we need more nuclear? man? I am so far off the path of this movie now, but, uh, <laughs> but I guess, I mean, but, but I think it's, yeah, I think it's, I think it, it, it matters because like, okay. So I think at its core, what Faulkner tries to do is to is that he is he he is one of these people who to to steal a phrase has sort of walked away from Obelas, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, it's not a good thing. Uh, in his case, he it's not a good thing. But I can understand it because he cannot un, he cannot while he was in the system, he could not convince anyone that was in it that this was absurd. There's yeah. no way of winning it. Well, he and, walked away from Omelas and said, well, eventually you people will be dead and I can start a new town. <laughs> or or be dead as well, yeah, quickly. Well, true. But you, you <laughs> know what I mean. And not have to worry about it. Yeah. But I mean, you know, to a certain extent, I believe that that uh, has sort of rolled forward as sort of like this – what what is being called the sort of stereotypically boomer mindset, which is I'll be dead when you have to worry about climate change. Yeah. Well, um, I've always thought that like boomers definitely were uh, – well, I mean us Gen Xers too, but bo- boomers were always hyper aware of the fact that they could be vaporized at any time. And I, I mean how do you let go of that viewpoint? Like you say, okay, yes – um, it, it is more than likely we're all going to perish in radioactive fire, but we should really worry about clean water. Mm. Well, I mean, I think the, the issue is that if you have been raised to never question the systems that exist and the way things turned out, I think that that would be, you know, it, it's, it's a weird, um, it's sort of like laying down the imaginary tracks of the trolley problem, right? Where you have been sort of guided to only see the two tracks. Right. You don't see that there's other things that could happen there, right? You just see two tracks and those are the only two answers that you're sort of afforded uh, to, to give us an answer. And I think that that has simply broken down in recent times because we understand that no, we we did none of this had to happen this way. Well, you you can't you can't navigate the world as it is without understanding that um, the answer is frequently it's more complicated than that. Yeah, but I will say um, this, and this is an interesting counterpoint, and and because. Also, the other core of his argument was that he was trying to teach the uh, Joshua, the computer, the importance of futility, right? That he starts off by saying, I tried to teach him how to play tic-tac-toe, and he never learned that you can never win in tic-tac-toe once, you know, once you have the given of two uh, parties on either side of the the game board who know just the basic strategy of tic-tac-toe, you'll never win, right? And I find it fascinating because it is an interesting counterpoint to what we, one of the things that sets James T. Kirk apart from everyone in, in, uh, his class is the fact that what is it? What is the the the, the test called? Uh, Kobayashi Maru? Maru. So he wins the Kobayashi Maru because he will not give up and not understand that there is a futility in that. Yeah, which is a very weird thing because sometimes sometimes you should probably eat crow <laughs> and accept that you can't change a certain thing. Well, and, and yeah, like unask the question, is there a new way to approach this that doesn't involve me hitting a wall, mm-hmm. like avoiding the situation entirely? Right. And I find it really interesting because it's it's sort of the Dr. Faulkner's approach is viewed very pessimistically. 
or like he has a certain pessimism about him that is off-putting. And uh, I'll agree, I'm off-put by it as well. The the black-pilled aspect of it is very off-putting. But is he correct? Yeah. Because like to to a certain extent Star Trek is viewed as like this optimistic thing and has a certain vision of the future, but if you have your at least in the old the the original series, um you have your uh sort of heroic captain who does not understand nor will accept futility as a lesson, then I, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Well, I mean, you could make it an interesting show that will never happen where uh like the Federation picks people like that captain as useful tools. Like maybe like when you think about those people in the um in the silos with the keys, you're looking for a certain personality type who will just say, I'm going to do what I'm told, the decisions have been made, I just have to trust. Like maybe if you if you take somebody who's like doing flying around in a three trillion dollar piece of hardware or credits or whatever the hell it is you want somebody who will never quit even when it's pointless like that maybe they just found the right lunatic for the job right right and i mean i and that i think that that's sort of um sort of an interesting uh glimpse into how absurd that is oh, when nuts. you see that first scene right yeah yeah, I mean, in some way, you, 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 I like to think that the writer might have been a little poking fun at the situation, you know? Well, I mean, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You have to view it in an absurd lens because what you're thinking about is the annihilation of the entire human species simply because you want to, quote, win, end quote. And do you, do you cast someone who just follows orders? And I know the implications of that phrase. Do you oh, right. cast someone <laughs> that just follows orders without questioning it as a hero? And I think the filmmakers are not doing that at all. Like the the dude that is like Michael Madsen is is sort of like comes off as a weird psychopathic creep in that first scene. Yes, he does. He does. And, you know, like the general in this isn't evil per se, but mm -hmm. I mean, he does he does sort of come off as a dumbass. Like, well, I mean, yeah, I think that the um, I forget the actor's name, but he is he's fantastic at it. Oh, so um, good. He's so good. Like, this is honestly like the cast in this is really good, too. Yeah. Uh, by the way, um, brief brief interlude did you know that professor falcon was supposed to have been cast do you know who he's supposed to be no no idea john lennon no fucking way yes yes it's amazing yeah oh, okay. he was supposed to be john lennon ex-beatle john lennon yeah yeah oh that's that's awesome that that'd be a wild i don't he might have too much personal gravity that it might mess up the film. Yeah, I, I feel that, yeah, he would have probably derailed things a little bit simply by being there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it, you, it's it's very difficult to look at John Lennon and think he's anyone else. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it, it's sort of wild that, that that was who they were thinking of to cast. Yeah. Oh, I think I think that would have. Been, I mean, it, it might not have worked, but it would have been fun to try. I have a certain respect. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Barry Corbin was the general, and what I think, like when I when I say he was a dumbass, so at one point, um, the 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 whopper, the the computer, um, is is taking over the the uh, the the missile sites, and it's getting ready, and they can't shut it off. And so the general's reaction is, okay, we've got to get the bombers, tell the bombers to stay in the air because we may still need to use them. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, you know, uh, that's, I think that that's the issue. Like uh, to a certain degree, that is actually called out by Faulkner when uh, the, when, when they finally get him into the, 
into NORAD, uh, where he's like, you know, general, you're listening to these are all phantoms. These are computer generated phantoms. You are listening to a machine. You do not need to act like one. Right. It was. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I, I do have to give the general credit there because he did. He did respond appropriately. And I mean, and, yeah. and that's part of the thing. Like, th- this movie is not trying to cast the the Pentagon or the military or anybody else as the bad guy, um, mm-hmm. including Matthew Broderick, which is fucking insane because he caused this stupid situation <laughs> or at least got the rock rolling down the hill. But yeah. I mean, it's more of like, look at this precarious situation we're in because everybody is making decisions that look reasonable to themselves and you add it together and it's it's nuts and that i mean it makes it sort of an exceptional movie when you look at it at that uh, lens there there's not um let let's disarm isn't a a typical blockbuster film message Mm -hmm. right well i mean i i think that the to the line you do not need to act like a machine um is in in fact sort of pointing directly like poking fingers right in the eye of the whole premise that you have to sort of follow these procedures which in and of itself is sort of a, like a logic machine you know these systems are all designed to interlock and work in a certain way and it's simply a way for you to, as a an in individual, as part of a group, to then offload your responsibility onto this decision-making process because we've always done it this way, or you know, uh, people wiser than I have, con- you know, have considered this already, and this is the way to do it. And uh, to a certain extent, the the internal wrangling uh, between the general and Dabney Coleman's character uh, is interesting because basically Dabney Coleman is the one that asks for uh, authorization to automate the pro the process. And that is simply, you know, doubling down on procedure and machines, you know, basically like machine type of thinking, uh, on the part of human beings, which is, you know, to be fair, you, you mentioned how, uh, in, <laughs> in, uh, earlier in the, in the episode. And I do want to point out that one of the things that people don't understand as to why the actors come across as very wooden in 2001, a space odyssey is because Kubrick was making a specific commentary on, you know, we have invited machines into our lives so much so that, we have begun to internalize machine the thinking the way a machine does. And, you know, like David Bowman is comes across as very wooden and very weird and, and off putting and granted, you know, in this moment that we're living in where, you know, we, we, we love Twitter and, you know, we express ourselves online. And, we and love a lot it. Of don't we life. folks? Yes. <laughs> Doom scrolling. It's so good. Um, but but I mean, I, I'm joking, but I'll, there's a lot of us that our lives are partly online. And to a certain extent, there's a certain – there's even a weight, a more weight given to our online persona than, you know, who we are, you know, in real, in, in real life. And this may sound like, you know, a, a very – you know, get, kids get off my lawn type of argument, but there is something to be said about that and, and something to think about uh, regarding, you know, do we actually, again, do we actually need to have things happen the way they are? Yep. So um, I think you referenced him earlier in the the show uh, sort of obliquely, but I want to do a quick uh, call out to Stanislav Petrov. Okay. Uh, are you familiar with him? No, I'm not. Okay. Um, this this happened in 
I like fall of 1983. He was a, a colonel in the Soviet Air Defense Forces. Oh, oh okay. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I know who that is. I just didn't know the name. Okay. Because I'm a dumbass. <laughs> no, that's fine. It's fine. I mean, I do have a computer in front of me. I mean, shit. Like, uh, it, so uh, Petrov, uh, there was uh, an error in the Soviet Union's nuclear system where the radar, where the radar was showing uh, five missiles coming towards Stanislav's base based upon a sunlight effect on satellites. Hmm. And Stanislav's decision was not to launch, even though that was expressly against his orders. Mm-hmm. And um, it was... Uh, he made the decision because he thought it was genuinely stupid that the U.S. would send only five missiles, mm-hmm. and he didn't want to be this person to start <laughs> World War III. <laughs> and, I mean, he was absolute, absolutely correct. Um, he got no rewards from it. Um, uh, he wasn't punished either because when they figured out that it was an error, everybody was so embarrassed that they just sort of wanted to drop it. And mm-hmm. they couldn't really reward him because he was disobeying orders. So he was basically right. moved to another post, uh, took early retirement, and then had a nervous breakdown. But um, damn, yeah. But I mean, this this guy, um, I, there's there's a good case that he saved the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I have no doubts in my mind that you know when I read that story and I I didn't sort of store his name in in my brain but when i read that story i was like holy shit dude this this is you know like there there had been so many movies like fail safe is is uh, an older movie that is based off of exactly this idea yep um crimson tide is based off of the same idea you know what do you do when you have basically a uh, what is that a dead drop type of system where you just receive a message and that's the last message you receive. What do you do if you're part of the military? You know, and it's, it's a, it's a sort of chilling (laughs) thought experiment. Um, it it is sort of, uh, referenced in the in war games as well where um falcon says general look at you know before he says the phantoms line he says you know why would you think that they would send all of their missiles at every you know possible target uh thus inviting a retaliatory response that will only obliterate them think about that yeah and, and it's sort of funny because it's it's exactly the it's sort of like the opposite where you're like saying, why would they only send five missiles if we they know that we could probably like wipe them out? Yeah, well, the it's it's such a fascinating thing. Like the whole the whole game is set up on the idea that you want you want to create such a dangerous and crazy um, system that'll automatically trigger that the other person that the other side won't do anything. And mm-hmm. like the best possible scenario is for both sides to fail at that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just in like, I, I used to think about this all the time when I was younger, because I mean, it, it felt imminent. And now mm-hmm. when I look back at it, even though like a lot of those systems are still in place, it's just, it just seems like a, like a, uh, just, just a crazy piece of an earlier era. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely feels very sort of like this topsy turvy logic uh, where it's like, wait, we used to think this. <laughs> you know, and, and the funny thing is that I'm asking myself this when I'm, I actually lived through part of that. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, we used to think this. Absolutely. Well, and it's, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's like I mock the, you know, I, I mock what the military is doing here and a lot of the decisions being made. But like, I'm pretty sure when I saw this in 1983, like, a, like until, until you know, Faulkner stepped in and slapped everybody around, I was sort of with them. It's like, well, we can't let them get away with this, even though they aren't doing it, you know? <laughs> right, right. I mean, uh, yeah, that that is a uh, that is in fact the thorniest part of this, where you, 
I don't think that this is specifically trying to convince you that the military is good and and uh, infallible, but is it an actual critique? I mean, I think the the issue here is that it's not a critique of the military; it's a critique of the entire system, and it's it's very difficult to really wrap your head around it because it's not trying to be anti-militaristic. Well, and I think there are some philosophical reasons for that, and there are also some practical reasons. Like if they oh, made an expressly yeah. anti-military film here, like it would it would have just it I, they, it would drop a deuce in the box office. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, this is also eighty three. Uh, this is the third year of Reagan's first term. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> this is this is the height of weird Cold War paranoia. Um, and other things, you know, like Reagan was awful. I, I honestly, I can't believe that we're we're trying to venerate that fucking doddering asshole. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's what's amazing is that other people have done worse since. I mean, you know. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 there, there are so many things he did that I loathe, but I always go back to thinking about the tax rates. Mm. I mean, the idea that uh, the the tax rates on upper incomes was something like it was over 70 percent before he got there. Mm -hmm. And now they're down to like 30 or below is it's madness. Well, you know, he was uh, I mean, uh, I still think like I I, I was joking around with somebody uh, way back when this was before Trump uh, and saying like, you know, we're all sort of Reagan's heirs now. And that's absolutely true. Like we have just continued to double and triple and quadruple down on the the idea that, you know, that taxes should be low. And it's like, no, they should not. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, that's that's the that's the way it is. Okay. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. So um, we've we've talked about nuclear war. We've talked about Reagan. Uh, we talked. Uh, oh, uh, computers. So this was probably the first movie. Probably this was definitely the first bo- blockbuster movie that that uh, really centered the idea of the modem and being able to call out to another computer using your phone. Mm-hmm. So that that's a nice step forward. Right. Well, I mean, and they did. Um... They did uh, do a lot of research, uh, and uh, I mentioned phone freaking before. Um, Pete, do you remember um, the payphone? The, well, there's the payphone, but also the the idea of you were talking about the tones. Do you remember the Captain Crunch? Oh yes, the whistle, absolutely. Yes. Uh, you want to talk about that? Yeah. Okay. Go, go, go on ahead. I, I'm sure you know more than I do. Okay. Well, that that's scary. Uh, so. <laughs> There were these guys called phone freaks, and basically, yes, phone ph freaks, Um, and they were people. It started in like the 1950s, but like in the 60s and 70s was really when it took off. And this, but basically, uh, one of the first true networks that connected people. Um, electronically was the telephone system. And it was this amazingly complex, partially automated thing. And there were employees of Bell Telephone and this sort of weirdos on their own that liked to play with it. Like there were these things called trunks where there were there were um, uh, lines between different cities and different countries that were just there to test. And they figured out how to create party lines on that. And they figured out how to get free phone calls and all of this stuff. But um, one guy and his name was uh, never mind. But he figured out that the Captain Crunch whistle, like when you bought when you bought a box of cereal and it came with a prize, there was this whistle. And if you blew it in your phone, that was the tone to get you into one of these trunks. Um, Mm -hmm. and there was basically these guys were the original hackers, you know, the, the phone system was, um, was a tool that they began to play with. And those guys using those systems sort of did a natural pivot into computing afterwards. Like you, you can draw a direct line between actual hackers and phone freaks. And a lot of them were the same guys. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, because uh, much of the uh, what became the internet was based off of telephony, and you, you needed to know how to like how the telephone systems worked. Uh, that helped you sort of understand, you know, like what the what the handoff between the, a computer and the telephonic system would you know require. Am I am I off base on that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, the, that's exactly right. They they regarded the thing like the the true heads, the guys who were really into this, weren't trying to get free phone calls. They were trying to figure out how the system worked. So they would do things like they dive into Bell telephone dumpsters and figure out the processes. And when when you use the old di- the rotary phones, you'd hear all sorts of weird whistles and clicks in the background. And those were like movements of the system. And over time, they figured out what each of those sounds meant. Right. Yeah, like they, they decoded sort of the uh, what the, the different sounds were trying to say to different parts of its own system. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, it, it's sort of fascinating to uh, see that. And they have a small scene that uh, survived from the first script. Uh, which is when um, David goes down to like the the hacker collective or whatever you want to call it. Yes, uh, the nerds. They're, they're, yeah, the nerds, uh, and uh, they're basically like, oh yeah, you know, you, they got it all. You know, the, the guy gets it all figured out because the name the name of the person he needs to research because he doesn't know where to start. Right, he doesn't know what leg to grab the cat by, so to speak. Right. Um, and so he's like, "Oh, I got it all figured out. You should go through Falcon's maze." And that's how he finds out that there's a, there was a, a Professor Falcon who was actually the person who, you know, designed and and created the, uh, wa- you know, what would become the Whopper computer that uh, NORAD is currently basically running on. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um... I, we we didn't actually speak to this. Uh, it's a good film, guys. If 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 you're bored, you should watch it. Um, I I watched it on Prime with commercials, mm-hmm. which is a survivable experience. It's uh, it's on Netflix as well. Oh, is it? I uh, should have done that then. I got I, I I let them inflict commercials on me then. And well. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say that uh, the structure of this is really interesting because it really sets up sort of like that that initial scene sets up the stakes that don't come back until later. Uh, and then you get David's, you know, sort of how David gets swept up into this. And, um, you know, and basically uh, because he wants to play a game, uh, and hack into a computer basically almost starts World War Three. So, folks, don't be an asshole and almost start World War Three. Yeah, World War like, III. can we go over his list of crimes in this film real quick? So he um, he he breaks into a military computer, um, mm-hmm. breaks into Pan Am's uh, computer, and uh, reserves some tickets. I, that's fairly innocent because you know. Mm-hmm. That, that that wasn't considered a purchase from the sound of it. They really should have had him buy the tickets that way. That would have been awesome. Um, what else? Oh, yeah. Changed what? his grades and the grades of a girl he was into. And I'm yeah. of two minds about this. Uh, the first is, like, that's that's definitely a fantasy I had as a kid, and it came directly from this. <laughs> but, I mean, this this kid had... Where were his parents? Yeah, well, I mean, th- th- his mom is a realtor, uh, which you know, uh, I guess that <laughs> that is a condemnation uh, in and of itself. <laughs> um, and I don't know what his dad did, but he was just basically hapless. Um, but what else does he do? Well, he uh, breaks back into a military facility, uh, into several secure spaces that would require, at the very least, secret or top secret clearance to get into. Uh, evades cat or actually breaks out of uh, custody uh, uh, using a sort of phone freak um, uh, technique. Yep. Uh, uh, I guess steals uh, several dollars from Ma Bell at the time uh, by 
uh, accessing a payphone. Pay and that was definitely a felony by then. Uh, the the FBI didn't like that shit at all. Well, I do like the fact that uh, the FBI is, in fact, the the entity that captures him. Yes. Uh, so because that would that would actually completely be true. Um, that being said, I don't, uh, I don't know if you know this, uh, the, um, I forget the name of the law, but after seeing this, Ronald Reagan actually, uh, made the, uh, made it basically illegal for anyone to hack into computers. Yeah, it was like the cybersecurity act or something. Yeah. Something like that. I, it's, it wasn't called that. I forget what it was called, but, um, but but then it's weird because that was a, you know like you don't want anyone hacking into your you know military grade computers. But then you know like you know, several decades later you have uh, you have uh, oh shit what is his name Aaron the guy who uh, was pro- going to get prosecuted by uh, the Obama administration for making JSTOR uh, documents available for free. Um, Aaron Schwartz was it? Uh, I think so. Let's let's pull it. Let me yeah. The internet's own boy, Aaron Schwartz. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and and uh, basically he committed suicide as a result of uh, trying to evade you know being put in prison for decades. Yeah, it's well. I mean, that's a lot. A lot of these guys. That's sort of their arc. It's like they 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 mess around with the systems because they're fascinated by their complexity. They get caught and they either go to jail or a condition of their parole is they can't touch computers anymore and they kill themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's well, you know. I'm just thinking about how uh, Case starts out in Neuromancer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a classic asshole for you. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he's supposed to be the hero of that piece, right? <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that the boy, that's a deep well is, is talking about uh, heroes in, in cyberpunk. But, I mean, it that's definitely they're largely anti-heroes. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that the issue is that you can you can definitely sympathize uh, especially when you're talking about uh, like an Aaron Swartz, you know, like he's actually making things easier for, you know, for students who don't have means to access certain documentation. Um, should he have done it? No. Should he have died for it? Probably not. Yeah, that yeah. seems a little rough. Uh, you know, and, and the fact of the matter that, you know, part of that is because those systems, the, the, systems that have connected into it are, are just financially based and they don't want those revenue flows disturbed in any way, shape or form. Uh, they don't want to, you know, it's, it's sort of the same thing with the recent thing with the internet archive, right? Uh, you know, I think you had posted that Hugh Howie, uh, a tweet where he's talking about like, yeah, you know, like the majority of pirates just want to see what, see what it's all about they generally come back and, and buy it or at the very least spread the word. And that results in more sales for me. Uh, the, you know, this was the same fear that uh, the, the record companies had with Napster. Remember? Yeah. That somehow pirates were going to, Oh my God. And it's, it's, it's just something that's so prevalent now where, you know, Oh, the, you know, this was canceled because of piracy. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and very, very likely it had nothing to do with that. But piracy is always a great scapegoat because it, it uh, diverts the blame from who is actually doing it, which is the the company that was running it. And it's, decided, it's a shillelagh. A what? <laughs> a shillelagh. A shillelagh. <laughs> I was going to say, you mean a shillelagh? Yeah, there we go. That's, that's, <laughs> that's awesome. But um, but yeah, like it's a it's an easy scapegoat because people go, oh yeah, piracy's bad, you know, and it's repeated long uh, often enough that people believe it. Um, but in reality, you know, the the piracy that they're talking about is so so vanishingly vanishingly small uh, that it, it 
it's almost a non thing. Right. Right. It's, it's, I, I mean, it's, it's very much about, uh, constraining all sorts of behavior, not, um, uh, not actual piracy. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's the, the idea of, you know, uh, if you let this happen, what else will they do? Right. And, uh, you know, if you're in a top down power position, you, you want that asymmetry, you know, you want people to think that, you know, if you even think about pirating something, that the hammer is going to fall down on you so hard. So, yeah, it's just a, a way to control things in a way that is just uh, not proportional in any way, shape, or form. But anyway. Yeah. Um, I think it's time to wrap it up, right? I think so. I think so. Like, we, we, we've, we've got an hour on a two-hour movie. That's some impressive shit, so... <laughs> Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Anyway, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, go see War Games. It's great. It's got a great structure. It is It is not a tight 90. It is almost uh, two hours, but it doesn't feel that way. And I feel like that is a uh, definite nod to the filmmaker's ability. I I fully agree. Um I on a on a basic level, I enjoyed it. I think it's 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 very well done. It's also um I mean, I think it was timely for its time and um it's uh it's surprisingly a thoughtful movie given that it was definitely targeted at 14-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all we'll have to say about it at this point. All right. Uh, goodbye, everybody. Always good to talk to you, Carlo. Yeah, same here, man. Take care. You too. See y'all. See y'all later. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs>